0: After moving to New York City, a college student finds himself working for a mobster who kills and cooks endangered animals. Join us as we chat about the history of wheeled luggage, tips for touring the Louvre, and B.D. Wong's script demands. Then we find out if the freshman stands the test of time. Test of time
1: James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today James says gladiator with the blood, And Alan says as a father blah blah It's the test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today Test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today Hello, everyone. I'm James Brief, and welcome to the Test of Time podcast, where we feature older films, at least 15 years old, and we talk about them and find out if they stand the test of time. Joining me, as always, is my buddy and pal, the guy who puts these all together in a perfect souffle Ooh. of a podcast that you are listening to right now,
0: Alan Noah. Why, thank you. This month for November we're going to continue our tradition of watching movies that uh listeners have requested and the first two uh listener requests that we have this month come from family members so maybe that's cheating but whatever um I I was messaging with my aunt Andrea Andrea Chasson on Facebook and we were talking about something else but then uh she asked about the podcast, because she does listen to the show. And she asked if we've ever done this movie, The Freshman. And she said, I think that it's a great comedic film. Marlon Brando is priceless. Highly recommend for a good laugh. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to kick off our listener request month. And last week I asked if you had ever seen this movie and you said no, but that you had heard of it. What did you know about this movie? I feel like I saw this trailer
1: In the theater uh, when I was a kid, or maybe it was the TV spots. But I distinctly remember Marlon Brando pinching the cheeks of Matthew Broderick. And the general just premise is that he's kind of... Don Corleone, but not Don Corleone. And, you know, just looking at the poster, you can basically tell the entire premise of this film. And I don't necessarily mean that in a bad way. It's, you know, it's a fish-out-of-water film. Right. And that, that's all I knew about it. Kind of that vague okay. premise there. But I, I knew nothing about it. I'd never seen the film
0: And for anyone who hasn't seen it or maybe forgot about what it is, this movie is about Clark Kellogg, played by Matthew Broderick, a student who's robbed shortly after arriving in New York. He confronts his mugger, who then offers Clark a job with his uncle Carmine, played by Marlon Brando. Carmine is a, quote, legitimate businessman who procures endangered animals, delivers them to a chef, and serves them to rich people who want to dine on the world's most exotic creatures. Clark has to babysit a Komodo dragon, fend off advances from Carmine's daughter, and decide if he wants to be loyal to this dangerous gangster. So when this movie came out in 1990, how did it do at the box office?
1: This film had a
0: modest uh, reception. It opened on July
1: 20th, 1990, uh, wider the next weekend. It had a $12 million budget. It opened at number six with $4 million, eventually uh, limping its way to $21 million. Well, I mean, limping it, that's a, that's over five times multiplier, so that's not bad. Um, it's interesting because this film uh, debuted uh, th- that weekend uh, widely and was beaten by two other debuts. Um, actually, a Harrison Ford starring film that I'm guessing neither of us have ever seen. I mean, try to think of a 1990 Harrison Ford film. You've certainly heard of it. It was based off a bestseller.
0: Regarding Henry? Uh, close. It's, it's that kind of title. I'm not sure. Presumed Innocent. Oh, no. I have never seen Presumed Innocent.
1: So that was number one. And then um, it was beaten at uh, number debut, which came in at number three, which I absolutely did see in the theater. I saw it with camp in the theater. It was one of those, like, rainy day options when uh, they were supposed to take you to, like, uh, a lake, and then you can't do anything. So it's like, all right, we're going to a movie theater. But it stars the late and wonderful John Ritter. There's a sequel that I also saw in the theater— With Cam. Oh, Problem Child. That's correct. Yeah, so Problem
0: Child also beat this film. I also saw Problem Child and Problem Child 2 in the theater. We can do those or one of them on the podcast at some point. But as we start talking about this movie, I feel like the elephant in the room is that Marlon Brando is playing a character named Carmine Sabatini who is basically Vito Corleone from The Godfather? And when Clark, the Matthew Broderick character, first meets him, he's like, Oh, you look just like. And then it's like, No, shh, we don't say that. We don't talk about that. But it's not even implied. It is said that this guy, Carmine, is the inspiration for Vito Corleone. So within the context of this movie, The Godfather movie also exists. And I gotta say, I fucking hate this. I hate this with a passion. This is insulting the audience's intelligence. I feel insulted when a movie does this. There's one other movie that comes to mind that also did this. Can you guess what I'm thinking of? oceans 12 and i felt so
1: insulted when they did that as well and you know i'll bet there's a reason
0: for this to work i don't think anyone's pulled it off yet i don't know that i agree with that i do not think that there is a way to work when you explicitly say it here's how it can work when you have Arnold Schwarzenegger, who is in action movie after action movie after action movie, and then he's in Kindergarten Cop, and the joke is, wait a second, this guy's a kindergarten teacher? And it's implied. It's a wink, and it's not super subtle, but it's also not, hey, you look like the guy who was the Terminator in that movie The Terminator. Or saying you look
1: like Arnold Schwarzenegger, which is basically what they do. Right. You're right. It probably just, it can't work. Because we're all laughing at it. He's in a dimly lit, like, wooden 1930s Italian espresso corner when, you know, this guy owns hundreds of millions of dollars. Like, it's a joke. We get it. And the fact that they said it once, that Matthew Broderick was like, hey, doesn't he resemble at that, 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 that. That actually, I probably would have been fine with, but there are
0: seriously like maybe half a dozen jokes referencing it. Yeah. And as I was thinking about like the Arnold Schwarzenegger kindergarten cop thing, that's not the same because that's kind of playing against type. And here Brando is playing directly into type. He is playing the same exact character, but like acknowledging it. And I could imagine in a pitch meeting with some studio executive, someone saying, we're going to have Marlon Brando play a godfather type, but there's a twist, which, spoiler alert for the end of this movie, he's not really a gangster. He's actually a good guy, kind of pretending to be a gangster. And I could sort of see how that could maybe fly in a pitch room, but I just feel like in reality and practice, it doesn't work. Also, that's apparently not what happened. The writer-director of this movie, Andrew Bergman, he wanted to get Marlon Brando in this movie. And Marlon Brando said, eh, I'm not so sure about playing another Godfather-type character. And then Bergman said, well, what if we say that this character is the inspiration for Vito Corleone? And Brando was like, yeah, sure. Also, in the movie, Clark is a film student. and. In his film class, he watches The Godfather Part 2. And you know who's in The Godfather Part 2 in, like, the, the prequel part of that movie? Bruno Kirby, who's also in this movie, The Freshman. So why doesn't Clark ever talk to Bruno Kirby in this movie and say, Hey, you also look like a guy from The Godfather, but The Godfather Part 2, isn't that funny? I mean, like, that could happen,
1: right? Uh, You know, I don't think it's exactly the same, because Marlon Brando was only, like, in his late 40s or something when he did The Godfather. Like, they aged him to look like old man Vito Corleone. And in this film, you know, time has caught up with him. He looks identical. I think it's fair to say that Bruno Kirby does not
0: look the way he did in 1972 in this film. Eh, He still looks like Bruno Kirby. Whatever. I think the real point is that you're just not supposed to think about it um so uh i have to ask you it's a
1: law of the test of time al what do you think of the voiceover because that's like your thing al talking about being a dad and hating voiceovers oh that's my thing is it me or is the voiceover only in the beginning
0: and then it kind of disappears Is there anywhere else he talks about it? Yes, it does pop up again later on. I think it's in the scene when they're driving in the car and he's like, Carmine told me his plan. I wasn't sure it would work, blah, blah, blah. But it is awful. It is fucking awful. It is really, really stupid. Like, that's me. That's my stepdad. He's really into saving wildlife. You don't need to tell us that. You can show us this. This is all stuff that you can visually show to the audience it's not necessary it's insulting and my eyes were rolling right out of the gate with the stupid uh voiceover and really all it's telling you is he's going to college his dad's dead his stepfather loves animals
1: you know, unlike uh, the, the Matthew Broderick film that I thought the uh, the voiceover worked really well, Biloxi Blues, that really was a narrator to the film, the character in that film is a writer, so you're presumably reading some of his diaries and stuff. But this, it, it provides nothing. I, I really learned to, you know, scrutinize uh, voiceovers that the stepmom could have very easily said, Your stepfather and I, I know you don't have the closest relationship with him, but he's given you $600 cash. And then you see the stepfather grumpy sitting in the chair that's all you need you don't need any of that voiceover right it is pointless there's a great uh, test of time thing right when he arrives in new york uh, and that's carrying luggage first of all, college freshmen arriving with one bag of luggage and like a sack over his shoulder. That is slightly different than today. True. (laughs) There's a lot of stuff they get there, but also I remember even in the eighties, it kind of being somewhat new. I felt that like luggage had wheels on the bottom and there was this very awkward leash that you could pull that never really worked. And if you made the slightest turn, your luggage would fall over to the side, like the dragon, uh, carry uh, and, and 360 wheel, uh, luggage we have today completely brand new wait really like you had to carry all of your luggage um yeah the like luggage with a leash or some kind of thing that was a relatively new thing you always see these things in the uh 60s you know know all those uh uh suitcases that people used to put bumper stickers everywhere they'd go those are cases that you'd carry Uh, luggage really evolved over the years i can't say for sure uh, when the first wheeled luggage made its debut but
0: wheeled luggage was not a thing uh in the 80s interesting interesting if anyone out there knows more about the history of luggage you can write to us at test of time pod i don't know that i'm really super curious about it but hey whatever well, Google
1: told me that it was first invented in 72 by this guy Bernard Sato. Uh, but it wasn't until 1987 that uh, Plath updated the design by placing this suitcase vertically and attaching two wheels and building a tractable
0: handle. Well, good to know. Let me ask you about the Komodo dragon in this movie, which, by the way, is not a real Komodo dragon because it is, in fact, in real life, a endangered species and they used a different kind of lizard. I forget uh, exactly what it was. But the scene when the Komodo dragon escapes and runs away and runs into a mall, what did you think of that scene? I think that scene is very,
1: very 80s. I'm not insulting him this way, but I think it's kind of the thing you'd see in like Superman 3 would have had like a kimono dragon escape, and it's just that little scene. Don't get me wrong, there could be a great scene of like, you know, the the greased pig is loose. You know, I'm sure there could be comedy with that. This one wasn't very comedic. I didn't really believe that these two guys would get away with uh, actually getting this kimono dragon and just kind of casually walking out of this mall and just uh, walking away with it. I didn't really like the scene. It took it a little bit out of the somewhat grounded reality uh, uh, nature of the
0: film. Right. I was watching this scene thinking, this scene is supposed to be funny, right? And I didn't laugh. I didn't crack a smile. I just found it. Tedious. The way the dragon gets loose is because Clark's roommate is busy smoking a cigarette when they stop for gas, which is like, you know, he's stupid for smoking a cigarette at a gas station and stupid for not paying attention to the very, very valuable dragon that they're supposed to be watching. But I was just imagining this scene with a baby or a puppy or something that is escaping and is running around a mall and it's supposed to be like oh cute there's like a little baby on an elevator how did the baby get in the elevator how did the puppy push the button or something like that but it's this ugly Komodo dragon and you know the fact that it's ugly doesn't mean that I don't care about it, but it does make it less interesting. It's not funny, though. It's not interesting or funny. I think you're exactly
1: right. It was supposed to be funny. And the music for that scene tells you, bah, 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 this is funny, but it just wasn't. No, it really was not. Uh, Yeah, you know, uh, Penelope Ann Miller, she's in this film. This is the second film we've seen with her and Matthew Broderick in together. Do you know what the first one was? Yeah, she's in uh, Biloxi Blues with him. Right, she's the uh, she's the uh, girlfriend. Um, she plays the mob boss's daughter. I love how she's introduced as Carmine Sabatini's only daughter. Like, yes. that's such a, like, that's almost like what a narrator would say in, like, a mob novel or something. Like, that's his only daughter and the jewel in his eye. You know, she's just, like, this is how you introduce her. It was just so weird yeah it um, was I, weird. I, I liked her character i thought she was kind of funny um i mean i did think it was weird again how casually she talked about the family's notorious crimes like the second he comes in you see a mona lisa and uh clark uh he admires how yeah that's a really nice replica and she's like nope it's fake we stole it uh 10 years ago and it toured around the country that's quite an admission
0: Right. I feel like anytime I see the Mona Lisa now, I just think of the Lonely Island song. Do you know that song, Mona Lisa? No, I don't, but I absolutely hate the Mona Lisa. not hate the
1: Mona Lisa it's just the most overrated painting in history. If you ever have a chance to go to the Louvre in uh in paris like skip it it's so dumb it's behind like six feet of glass and it's tiny. You can even look behind it it's, it's the stuff that's like turn around it's beautiful, but go anywhere else it's mostly famous uh, I don't know if you know this. It was stolen in the early twentieth century and it was missing. A Da Vinci was stolen and it was gone for like, I don't know, 20 years or something, then famously found. That's why it's so famous today. It's not that for hundreds and hundreds of years it's been this most famous painting in the world. No, it's famous because that's when the press came and it was a famous art heist in the early 20th century. And that's why it's famous. It's just not that interesting in my opinion, uh, especially from Da Vinci's catalog of everything
0: he's done. Well, if you hate the Mona Lisa, you will love the song Mona Lisa by the Lonely Island. Give it a listen uh, after we're done recording. You will enjoy it. I will. That's my advice. Like, Skip the crowd over there and
1: look at everything else surrounding the Mona Lisa. No, I've been to the Louvre. I can't argue with you you know there was something great I loved in this the uh, something that's so 80s and you know weirdly it's disappeared uh, because uh, aerosols have come back in fashion I mean they're just not with CFCs anymore killing the ozone layer but do you remember in the 80s like it was just a thing to just spray your hair with spray paint and on TV they do it like comically long or with there'd spray be some paint? character that just doesn't no no not with spray paint with hairspray sorry with, with hairspray oh and that's what uh, Clark character's doing uh frank wallen uh, he's most what's his most famous role what would you say this guy's most famous role is it's a very small role but oh, one of the most roommate. famous roles in movie history yeah uh i'm not sure um let's just say his character's name is brad does that give you a hint brad no let's just say check out the big brain on brad oh pulp fiction yeah, that's right. He's Brad in the scene from Pulp Fiction who, uh, you know, is about to be killed by John Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson, but uh, he correctly realizes that the Grand Royale is what they call a quarter pounder because of the metric system. Okay. All right. I love that scene. It's one of the best scenes ever. Um, You know, there's something else I thought interesting. Um, B.D. Wong, he's in this film. He has a small role. His whole role surrounds the kimono dragon. And I just thought that was interesting because his other most famous role is being the scientist from uh, the Jurassic Park franchise. And, uh,
0: uh, you know, obviously uh, coincidence later, but uh, pretty cool. Maybe it's not a coincidence. Maybe he has said to his agent, you only send me scripts where I work with lizards. Well, he was also a voice in Mulan, and Mulan had a
1: dragon, so... That's true. He will only do dinosaur or dinosaur-like reptile uh,
0: roles. Maybe there is something to this, Al. Maybe. Maybe we've figured something out about BD Wong. So the whole movie is kind of building towards this big dinner when they're going to eat the Komodo dragon. And it takes place in a cornfield because the thing is that these dinners are always in a different location. It's a secret because, of course, it's a illicit, illegal thing. I thought they said that they were going to be in New Jersey. Are there giant cornfields in New Jersey? There very well might be. Uh, Jersey gets really, really rural. I, I would believe there's are cornfields in, in New Jersey. Maybe, but if there are, I'm sure they still smell like toxic waste like the rest of New Jersey. We're recording this episode for the benefit of my aunt who lives in New Jersey and— I always give her shit about New Jersey so I just had to. Sorry. Well,
1: as a New Yorker, we generally are supposed to yes. say something about Jersey. You 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 said it. They they do have cheaper gas. No, they don't. It's, it, might, it might not be cheaper than one place you know of, but it's definitely cheaper than right over the border. I grew up in Rockland County, and
0: everyone drove to uh, Jersey for cheaper gas. Yes, you used to. Now they have raised the taxes, and the prices in Jersey for gas are virtually identical to New York. Maybe a couple pennies cheaper. You might be right. That it's definitely not. It used to be
1: ridiculously cheaper. It used yes. to be like almost like a dollar cheaper. Yes. Like it was pretty crazy.
0: I mean, I'm trying to give Jersey some credit here, Al. So you're taking that away. No, no, no. They took it away. New Jersey got rid of the only good thing about New Jersey. They did that to themselves. That's on them. I mean, Action Park, but you know. And Bruce Springsteen and Bon Jovi and Gaslight Anthem. I guess the Sopranos. All right, fine. There's a couple of good things about New Jersey. But the point is, they have this elaborate dinner in the cornfields of New Jersey. And this is where it is revealed that Carmine is not actually a bad guy. He is a good guy. And the whole thing was a setup in order to catch these two government agents who were on the take from a different crime family. This doesn't make any fucking sense,
1: right? There were obviously several Act 3, Scene 5s, you know, the resolution scene, and they went with this one. It's so simple. Just make him a mob guy that, you know, he doesn't have to deal with, like, killing and prostitution. He could just be, you know, he runs uh, you, know, you, can, you can get some tires that uh, may not make it from the uh, shipyard to uh, Costco, and I sell it cheaper. You know, that, that kind of mob boss. Everything points to him being nonviolent in this film. There's really nothing in this film that's violent. They could have just so easily had him—yeah, he's working with, with them, whatever, to help the feds. That's how they let him look the other way way with some of his businesses whatever Uh, and also everyone on planet earth buys marlon brando as a mob guy i don't know why they went the other way Uh, the only thing i could think of is the more modern idea of subverting
0: expectations for no good reason look i'm fine with the twist ending that's great and subverting expectations and inverting what you expect that's great i'm into that i also get that They kind of wanted to soften the character because if it turns out that he is turning good now, but for a very long time he was killing endangered animals and serving them to rich assholes, then you kind of hate the guy. They wanted to make him a lovable character, but the plan doesn't make any fucking sense because they picked Clark for this whole operation. Everything that happens in the movie was all done deliberately because of Clark's stepfather. They needed Clark to involve his stepfather. That was the whole point. And some of it makes sense because they knew he was going to come to New York. They could intercept him at Grand Central. They could rob him. And then he would be desperate for money, which would uh, lead him to take this job with Carmine. But... There's one giant, giant leap of faith in this plan, which is that Clark was going to call home and that Dwight, his stepfather, was going to secretly listen in on this conversation. What happens if Clark calls home and says, Mom, I was robbed. I'm sorry, but I need more money. It's embarrassing. I feel ashamed, but I need this in order to continue my college education. And the mom says hey, all right, big city, be more careful next time, and she sends him a check. The end. That is the end of this plot, and that's a thing that could have happened. Right. I mean, they could have established
1: that there was no money at home, like they're literally destitute or something. Like, how much money was he going to get? He could have just gotten a job in the school library. I mean, work a couple weekends. There are so many things that had to go right according to this plan. He could have just not been suckered. By Bruno Kirby's character. that just right. been like, nope, I'm going on the subway. Officer, hello, he's in Grand Central. I mean, this is 1990. Yeah, I guess they're still playing up the whole New York as like a crime-ridden hellhole. And it is a few years before Giuliani would come and kind of yeah, blah, blah, blah. But um,
0: I don't know. He could have just gone in a cab, man. You have $600 in your pocket. Right, 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 right. It's all really, really convoluted. And so does that mean that Carmine didn't really steal the Mona Lisa and what's there is a replica why did they have to go through this whole thing with Tina being in love with him and wanting to marry him right away what is the point of that how does that further the end game yeah and uh let me ask you, was the professor in on this too I would think that he would have had to be because if he would just been a nice guy and said, hey, you know what? It's all right. Here's an extra copy of the book. Don't worry about it. Then, yeah, again, the whole plan goes to shit. But then maybe not because the professor really seemed to be impressed by Carmine and like, oh my God, he is a real living legend. Maybe he was acting. Maybe he was faking it. But I don't know. That, that seems like a stretch. It's
1: established that Everyone knows who uh, Carmine Sabatini is, and the professor at one point when Tina, the daughter, comes in, he's like, is there any chance I can meet the Carmine Sabatini, who he knows is the inspiration for uh, Vito Corleone in The Godfather? Because this guy's obsessed with The Godfather, so in universe, it makes sense that this mob guy
0: is a mob guy that looks like Marlon Brando. It's really, really weird, and it's really unsatisfying. Also unsatisfying uh, in terms of the ending is Dwight, the stepfather, shows up, and Clark yells at him, like, I can't believe you did this. You betrayed me. I am your stepson. You should have treated me like a son. How could you do this? And the whole reason that Dwight did it is because he cares that much about the Komodo dragon. Okay, that's shitty, but he really loves this fucking animal. But then he just leaves. He leaves the scene and doesn't take the dragon. He leaves the dragon in a place where he thinks the dragon is going to be killed. I mean, if that animal (laughs) means enough to you where you would betray your stepson, then you'd think you wouldn't fucking leave the place without it. And he doesn't because of the bit at the end where they want to have Broderick and Brando walking into the sunset with the dragon. I get it, but that doesn't make any fucking sense. He should have at least tried to take it and then, you know, someone punches him or something and then he has to leave without it. But he really doesn't want to.
1: Yeah, and that's that's the ending. Um, what do you think, Al? Does 1990's The Freshman stand the
0: test of time? It really, really does not, and I apologize uh, to my aunt. I'm sorry, Aunt Andrea. I know you thought this movie was very, very funny. I just didn't find it funny at all. I didn't think that the story worked from a plot mechanics point of view. I don't think it works. To me, what this movie is is a Great idea for a movie that, like, when they started writing it, they should have realized, yeah, this isn't going to work. And no, they just went and made the fucking movie anyway. And I'm bummed. I'm bummed because I was hoping I would like it. I was hoping I would think it was funny. The voiceover, I could have maybe looked past that. But the Marlon Brando starring as Marlon Brando again Ugh, I fucking hate all of that. I hate everything that comes from it. Um, One running gag that's maybe a little bit amusing is that Clark is from Vermont, and every time they reference where he's from, they pick another state, because two people from New York, this crime boss, he knows New York and New Jersey, and then every other state is... It doesn't matter. Okay, that's mildly amusing. It's not really laugh out loud, funny. At one point, uh, Brando refers to Clark as Kent, which is a a wink to another famous Marlon Brando role because he plays Jor-El. I mean, why the fuck doesn't Clark then say, hey, you know, you also kind of look like Superman's dad in that movie, Superman. Did anyone ever tell you that? And then, you know, he could have looked directly into the camera and winked and guffawed. I mean, I guess, right? Like, why not at that point? Yeah, I I really did not enjoy this movie. And I do not think that it stands the test of time at all. What about you, James? What do you think?
1: Um, Well, I'll say I definitely had a very different take on the film. Um, I actually found a a lot of it charming. And I'll tell you this. um, I don't think people really cared to see Brando doing a Brando impression. You know, everyone has or had back then a Brando impression. Like everyone today has their own Arnold impression. And the weird thing is, I think this film has aged very well in that I found it kind of charming to see Marlon Brando play a Vito Corleone character for an hour and a half. I really like that. I-, I thought the chemistry with him and uh, and Matthew Broderick was very nice. I thought the supporting cast was cool, too. Uh, Bruno Kirby, there's something about him that I both dislike and like. I, I mean that probably as a positive, because okay. uh, I think there's something always a little bit sweet and a jerk to his characters, like in uh, City Slickers. But uh, I like a lot of the elements of the film, and I actually found myself uh, laughing at some stuff. Um I think the major problem with this film is I just don't like where the story went. I don't care that, you know, in the 70s, theoretically, this fictional guy probably did some bad stuff. I thought he was kind of a cute old man, and I really like the chemistry with uh, with Tina. I thought she was kind of, like, over-the-top weird, and I kind of like that. She's a little crazy, and she finds Matthew Broderick adorable because a 1990 Brad Matthew Broderick is adorable. I mean, he Matthew sure. Broderick has one of these... Baby face is still. I mean, to this day, he's got gray hair, and it's still a baby face. I, I mean, as a compliment to him. You know, a very youthful looking guy. Yeah, um, and, and Brando is just awesome. Uh, he's he's great. The film is uh, it's tight, um, ninety minutes, uh, then ninety five or something. It, it's you know, it's a, it's a short film. I think it's act three I don't like in this film I don't like anything about the stepfather in this film I rewound this film a couple times because I kept thinking I was missing something about the stepfather Uh, a couple times when he was saying something I was like am I missing is he in the FBI too Uh, like why is this so stupid and uh, (laughs) you're right I didn't know what it was about it but the kimono dragon the fact that yeah why isn't he like running out with this I just really really dislike this entire act three I I really kind of wanted to buy the numbers. You know, he's fish out of water. It's the mob. And then in the end, they're like, Hey, uh, Clark, you want to work for us permanently? No, 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 no. And then leaves opening to the sequel where he'll inevitably be drawn back in for more comedic laughs. Basically, I wanted to analyze this. That, okay. That's a perfect example of what I was looking for. Um, there's a little danger. Of course, Robert De Niro's character, if you think about it, is a cold-blooded, ruthless murderer. But you like him. He's charming. That's all I was looking for. That's what this film needed, and it just needed to be funnier. I just disliked where this film went. I Actually, I totally see where your aunt is going. If you're not someone who's watched like 380-something films and analyzed them and critiquing them every single week without Fail. Fair. Uh, You get a little bit more scrutinizing this. I can see myself just watching this in 1990. Sure, that was fun. I do agree. If she's remembering it as amazing, no, it's not amazing. But no, it doesn't hold up. But if you want to see a Brando doing a Brando Godfather, uh it, you're going to you're going to like that part of it. You're going to love that part of it. And that's the part of this film I did love. It's just not enough for me. It just needed a little bit more of a, of a of a uh of a plot tweak. So for me it's a 5 out of 10, but it didn't quite get it, uh, you know, to being a passing grade here. So no, it does not stand the test of time.
0: It it really just missed it for me. You know, this is kind of like the bummer of doing the listener requests when I feel like I just have to shit on the movie and then I feel bad because a listener asked us to, to talk about a certain movie but you know what, honestly counterpoint to that, you know the risk especially if there's fucking voiceover in it, sorry again and Andrea, alright well That's going to do it for us this week. Next week, we're doing another movie requested by a family member, and that family member is going to join us. My son Eli is coming back on the show to talk about Coach Carter, starring Samuel L. Jackson. I've never seen this movie. He and I have not watched it together. I genuinely have no idea why he picked it. I haven't asked him, because I'm going to ask him next week when he's here. Do you know this movie, James? No, I have not seen this film. I do love Samuel L. Jackson,
1: so always excited to see another film of his. Um, I love sports films, so I'm not
0: even sure if this is necessarily a sports film or more of a drama. I know it's about basketball. I know that is the sport in question. And Eli uh, loves basketball, man. So that's all I know about it. But I'm looking forward to watching that movie and talking about it. And then we've got a couple more listener requests to round out the month of November. But uh, we want to hear from you guys at Test of Time Pod on Facebook, Hex, Instagram threads. If there's a movie you would like us to watch and talk about for the podcast, let us know. Write into us. Maybe we'll do it next November. Maybe we'll do it before then. Maybe we won't make you wait. Who knows? Um, but let us know, and uh, we'll see you next time, everybody. Bye.